But I was thinking about it this morning. I've been thinking about this book for a little while because uh, I went over some notes and I just uh, I realized we have never done a book study on Philippians. We've done studies in all, chap- all parts of the chapter and little pieces here and there, but never just took the whole book. And so I thought, well, that's a good one for us to take because there's some, some good things out of Philippians. And so we're going to go ahead and do that here for the next uh, number of weeks. I haven't planned it that far ahead to know how many weeks it's actually going to take us to take this on. But uh, we'll see how it, how it goes. How long did it take us to get through Colossians? Is it like 12? It was more than six. Yeah, it was more than six. I think I was in a... You know, oh, I wasn't talking about how many weeks it took us. I was talking about how many, how many actual times we were together on the, on the thing. I think that was... Uh, yeah, I think actually the number was around 14. Because I think we threw a number 15 in there and did that little extra. So anyway, this one ought to be ought to, you know, be about a short... No, this one should be as short as Colossians. Oh, as short. <laughs> it should be somewhere around there with that. But let's go ahead and start this off here. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul and Timothy, they both are in this one. And it's interesting to see how Timothy ties in with Philippi. And so in order to see that, we're going to go back to the book of Acts. It wasn't too long ago we actually covered the entire book of Acts, and so you may remember some of these things from it. But go back to Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So he picks up Timothy here, comes upon this place, uh, sees Timothy, sees something in him, and decides, that, you know, I, I, I like this guy. And he takes him along with him. Now, Timothy, has, we know a lot about his mother. We know li- very little about his father. And he talks about being raised by his mom and his grandmother. It seems that his father abandoned the family or left in some way. And so the mom probably moved in with the grandmom, and that's where he was, he was raised. So he more than likely didn't have a father image or a father in his life. And so when Paul comes along, guess what role Paul probably takes up for young Timothy? <laughs> Steps in there to be that uh, father type of a role for him. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, if we had it mapped up there on the screen, that would be the area north of where they are. After they had come from Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So that would have been going south. Now, remember, they came from the east. They were going west. Now, they couldn't go north, and they couldn't go south. So what direction are you going to probably go? That would probably be west. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troash, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Napolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is the foremost city of, the part of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out to the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailers to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awake from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposed that prisoners had fled, drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now imagine this. The Spirit of God comes upon this place. No one else knows an earthquake happens. Even the leaders of the city don't know an earthquake happened and they just didn't go out there and get them. They have no idea anything has even happened. It just was on the prison. But the Spirit of God was so strong on there that prisoners, these are evil men, prisoners in there, doors open, everyone's bonds are loose, and what do they do? They stayed. Now think of a prison here today. If a prison here today, all the doors open and all the, the bonds on the prisoners fell off what would they do there would be riots there would be rushing to the to get out but here they all stayed they didn't go anywhere because the spirit of god came upon that place so that they didn't leave they stood there here's paul and silas are singing praises and then all of a sudden the place shakes all this stuff happens and they just stay there And this guy, think about this. He thinks they've all escaped. Why would you think that all the prisoners escaped? And you hear those sounds. Now, if you have been in prisons, any of the prisons, the one thing you do not hear in prison is no sound. People are crying. People are agonizing. People are yelling. People are cursing. But the one thing you don't hear is no sound. And the jailer wakes up. He must have heard no sounds. Because if he would have heard the sounds of the people in the prison, he would have assumed they're all here, or at least some of them are here. But he assumed that how many were gone? 
He believed they were all gone. Sometimes we read over that stuff and we forget. Wow, all of them are quiet because of the presence of God. Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now, it's dark. How does Paul know that they are all there? I don't know, but I don't argue with Paul. When Paul says he knows something, he generally does. (laughs) Then he called for a light. Why? Because it was dark. There is no light. And they ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, see, that's, that's service right there. That's church going on right there. The Spirit of God comes upon the place. Everyone's bonds are, are loosed. And people get saved without even a message preached. He's just, you know, tell me what I got to do to get saved. This, is, this, is, this was awesome. The presence of God on this place. The things that happened with the prisoners. This, this, was, this was awesome. And I need to get saved. So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and and washed their stripes. And immediately, and all his family were baptized. Now think about this. He's in charge of all the prisoners. And he leaves the prison. But does he lock everybody back up again? I would think he would, but it doesn't say that he did. But he leaves the prison and takes these guys over to his house to get them all cleaned up and to talk to his family about getting saved. Now, what would happen if you're a soldier and you abandon your post? It's not a good thing. You could be killed for such a thing. He thought it was so important that he took Paul out of the prison to take him home so that they all could hear the message of the gospel, even to the point of risking his own life. That's how strong this move of the Spirit was upon this place. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? Uh, No. (laughs) Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So we told you this before. His purpose here was, no, no, no. You guys are going to come and you're going to escort us out. You publicly embarrassed us. And he's not concerned that he was embarrassed. He's concerned that the gospel was embarrassed. So he goes back to all the people that had come and made a commitment to Christ. And he he uses their presence to put the stamp of approval on what they're doing. And we've told you this before. This is something I was taught about it. Paul took on his back the beating that the Philippian church would have taken because they could not beat them after this because they were afraid of Paul. We have beaten a Roman and the wrath of Rome will come down upon us. Now, you leave those guys alone. I don't care what they're doing. You leave them alone. 
And it was an amazing thing that, that Paul had done in, in taking this, this beating. He didn't have to be beaten. He could have said something. Either he just knew in his spirit, don't do it, or this is the plan that he was given, or this is just something he thought of. I don't, I don't know what it was, but it sure worked. And this was the history of the church of Philippi. So it was mostly centered around the women's group that met for prayer. They didn't have a synagogue, but it met for, for prayer. And the, the, the soldier and his household. So those are your main ones. And from there, the church grew so that Paul writes a letter to them. But again, Timothy, he met Timothy earlier. In verse uh, 6, now, when they had gone through Phygerian, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden. Who was the they? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, because he's been picked up in this. So when they come to the area of Philippi, they come in with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And Timothy's just getting started in, the, in this uh, ministry stuff. He's not just getting started in the things of God, but he's getting started in this ministry. And he comes into, into Philippi. And this is his introduction. Now, this is a little sterner introduction than John Mark had. John Mark went running. <laughs> Timothy stayed. Paul had a real fond affection for Timothy. So that's the history. Let's go on to verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's writing about the, Philippi, the, the church, the entire church at Philippi. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Does he say this when he writes to the Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians? In 2 Corinthians, does he say this? I don't, we don't find too many places where he writes to them, I thank my God for you all. In every remembrance of you guys. Every, every time I remember you guys, I just thank my God. Now think about this. If we just read over the story of Philippi, he goes in there and the only ones who want to give him any listening to at all is the woman's group that meets down by the river. That's about it. And then they got this woman following him, making these proclamations that he finally turns around and casts the devil out of her. And then people get upset because their money-making thing was gone and make all kinds of accusations. They get beaten, thrown into the inner prison. How many of you could think of a few unpleasant memories out of just that? But he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Wow. That is something else. Do you have people in your life that you can say, every remembrance of them, I thank my God for them. That's what he writes. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with joy. Every time I come to God in prayer about you guys, every single time I come to prayer about you guys, every time, it's with joy. It's with gladness. Now, this particular letter, there's no real uh, strategy to it like some of the other letters are. There's no real problem he's addressing. He will address a few problems that kind of come up to him, but he's basically just writing to some fond friends. That's how it comes across. And just... Uh, just writing them some things that, that come to mind or that uh, God is, is leading them on. And he does deal with a, a few handful of problems, but really not much. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you. So he's, in, he's not just praying for, he's making requests. Father God, I pray that that chip church over there, that Philippi, that you do this or that you bring this or that this happens. 
or whatever it might be. He's praying for them that way, and it's with joy. Now think about this. Have there been people in your life that you pray with on a regular basis, but the joy isn't there? No joy. You sometimes have to get in prayer for a little while and get that joy to, <laughs> to get going. There are some people that Paul wrote about that brought him sorrow, but these folks brought him joy. Last week we were looking at individuals, those people that were in Paul's life, that just their very presence, as soon as they walked into the room, he just felt better. He felt more. This is a, a, one of the pillars in the church. Then when these folks came on in the room, just their presence being there made him better. We looked at some of the traits and characteristics that they had that uh, Paul needed for that to go on. But here we got a whole church. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Make a request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From that first day that I entered into Philippi until now, I have nothing but joy. That's, that's something. Because we read the story. <laughs> it did, it sounded like there's a lot of non-joy in there. But what's Paul saying? Oh, man, it's such a joyful thing. Every time I remember you guys. I just, if, if it was me, I'm probably thinking, the first thing I'm thinking about is that beating I took. That's probably the that's first thing I remember, and that beating I took. The second thing I remember is uh, that inner prison. Man, that is not a nice place. You guys should get rid of that. That's, that's a terrible place. The third thing I might remember is that woman who followed me around for a couple of days, a number of days, and filled with a demon. Fourth thing, it's your reaction to it. <laughs> Cast them out. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a bunch of things that happened there because Paul's memory, he's only there for a few days. Now, maybe a few days or a week or two weeks. I, and, and whatever those days were that this woman was following, that was most of it. Then he's in prison. And then the next day, they all come in to get him out. Yeah, there was, uh, there was suffering there. There was opposition there. That didn't stop them. How many things have we had in our life with other people, other believers, and we've let those things stop us from the joy? Compare it to Paul. You haven't gone through beatings for him. You haven't been put into the inner prison for him. If Paul could find joy, I bet we can find joy for some of those folks as well. Glory to God. For your fellowship in the gospel. Have fellowship in the gospel. I think that's some of the most fun things we have is when we get to sit down at a table and we just talk about Bible stuff. We just talk about the gospel. We just talk about the things of the word. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. Make sure you have that. Uh, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That word confidence, that's a fun word. If you want to, I'm, I'm going to give you a little word search on this thing, but if you want to have some fun, do a big one on it. Uh, it's used a lot in, in the Word of God, and it's kind of fun to read some of the occurrences that happen here. But this word means to convince by argument, true or false, to assure, believe, have confidence, to be content, to make friend, obey, persuade, trust, and yield. That's a lot of meanings. Now let's take a look at some of the places this word was used. In Matthew 27, verse 20, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. That word there for persuade is the same word translated confidence. 
that they persuaded them that this would be the better way to go. In Matthew 27, verse 43, He trusted in God, speaking of Jesus, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. That word trusted there. He trusted in God. That's the same word. He had confidence in God. He was persuaded that God would deliver him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 26. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded, that's the word, and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods, which are made with hands. He is persuaded. So it's that same word that he has given them confidence in the fact that the idols are not gods and that the God that he taught about was the God, was the God and the one to be worshipped. So that's how this word is used. So when it says being confident or being persuaded or having that trust, have this trust, be persuaded of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Have that confidence. Have that persuasion that what God has done, what God has started in you, he will complete it. Now, what happens is this. Let's go on to this, this, uh, the next word. The word there for good. We talk about this word often. We talked about this word on Sunday. This word comes from the word agathos, which means good as to benefit in that it is a good that is a beneficial thing. Good as to benefit. Being confident of the very thing that he who has begun a good, a beneficial work in you. What can you think of that God has begun in you? We can think of spiritual growth. God has begun that in, in me. We can think of the ministry gift that God has put in us and how he is developing that and bringing that along. We can think of the influence that God has given us to our neighborhood, to the place where we work, to the people that are around us. That is a good thing. And the list can go on and on. We have a lot of lists of things that God is doing us in us that is a good work. So he's saying this, have the confidence to know that the good work that God began in you, He will continue to do. Now, the reason he writes that is how many of you ever have experienced this where you are pursuing the ministry that God has given you? You are pursuing the spiritual growth that you should have. You are pursuing the life in God. You are pursuing the influence of those around you. And there are things that happen. There are words that people express. They make you think that what is going on in the inside of you, number one, is not good as to its benefit to the people that are around you or even to you, or that it will continue. Well, I guess God isn't bringing that about. I was so confident that God wanted me to step out in this area of ministry, and it's just been so hard, and it's just not, it's not going anywhere, and we're ready to give up. But he's telling them this, God have this confidence in God that the work that he could, the good work, the work that is beneficial, not only for you, but also the people that are around you, that work, he will continue to develop, to bring about. Until when? Until the day of Jesus Christ. So as long as you are here on this earth, 
until the day that Jesus Christ comes, until that day, he will continue to do that good work in you. That's a promise from God. So no matter what the good work is that is going on in, in you, no matter what people have said about it, no matter what the enemy has told you about that good work that he's doing, no matter how much it seems like it's not coming about, there is so much against me. There is so much that's, oh, it's just not working out. I thought it would be this way. I thought it would go like this, but it's not. It's, it's been harder than I thought it would be. I just, I don't know if it's ever going to come about. I don't know if God is in this. Paul is telling them this right off the bat. This is how he starts it off right off the bat. Be confident. Be persuaded of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He'll keep adding to it. He will keep perfecting it. He will keep bringing that thing about until the day of Jesus Christ. So if the devil wants to come along and try and whisper in your ear. Well, I guess that didn't work out. Well, I guess God is done doing that. Well, I guess you've grown all that you're going to grow and you're just no more to grow. Mm-mm. Until the day, Jesus Christ. So you die and go home or Jesus Christ comes, whichever comes first or whatever comes last. <laughs> He's going to keep on developing that work. He's going to keep it going. Don't let anyone tell you different. Don't let anyone discourage you. Don't let anyone get you off the path. Stay with it. Being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense of confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. That word there for partakers means a co-participant, a companion, a partaker, or a partner. Have you ever heard of becoming partners with a ministry or partners with someone in a thing? Paul is actually, over the course of this, he is going to look at four aspects of partnership over the course of this epistle, one of which is financial. But not all of them are. And here's the first one, the partakers of grace. Partakers of grace. Let's read it again. Just as, as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. He says, when I have been in chains, you guys have been partners with me. When I have been out there defending the gospel, you guys have been partners with me. And the grace of God that comes upon me because of my chains and because of what I am doing to defend the gospel, that same grace, you are partners in that as well. Partners in the grace of God. What are we partners with? Don't forget, no one's in here to do this by themselves. We're here to be partners together. And get some people that are, that are partners that come along and that help you. Because as we're talking about on Sunday, if you are mindful of just yourself, you will not go as far. You've got to learn to become mindful of other people. The more mindful you are of other people, the easier it is to do what you're doing and do it well. The example we gave you, best example I have, and you'll probably have other ones, but it was just uh, you know, running in, in a race. When you, get, when you go, to, go out to run and you run by yourself, you do one pace. 
and I can get my running buddy with me, John, and we run together, it's a whole different pace. We were out there running last night together. And uh, uh, just seven days before, he had not getting to run a whole lot. Seven days before, we, we started off, he was with me for the first mile, and that was the last I saw him. That was it. He was, he was somewhere back in there, and he said, man, I just didn't have it tonight. Seven days later, we ran the first mile, same pace we ran the time before. Second, second uh, mile, we picked up 30 seconds. Third mile, we picked up another 20. Fourth mile, we picked up another 20 seconds. In fact, I was thinking, man, he is moving. I am not going to lose. I thought I might lose this guy. I was actually falling behind a little bit. No, come on, get it in there. Kick it up a little bit. And so we kicked it up a little bit. We actually had one mile that we ran at a speed we have not run in a lot of months. <laughs> a lot of months. And, but it's only, it's only because we're, we're, we're mindful of each other and we push each other along. So after we know we're talking about that, I said, man, we really we did all right on that one. But you see, then there's a whole other thing. When you get out and you go down to Philadelphia and you sign up for one of those races and you've got a thousand people all around you, there's always someone to chase. There's always somebody to be. Because you're not mindful of yourself. You're mindful of all the people that are around you. And if you apply the same thing into your walk with the gospel and become mindful of other people, and mindful of what they're doing, and mindful of how you can help them. It changes. It changes you. It changes the way you're going. There are people that you need to have partners with. People that will come alongside. People that are like-minded. People that can help you in what it is that you're doing. Get those people. Get them around. Be that person for others. And understand that you are partakers. And here's the first thing you can become partakers with. When you become partakers with someone in ministry, and they, these folks were a help. How many of y'all get that? Just from the opening sentences, this was a church that was a great help. If I put it this way, we're all thinking, Philippi, oh, those people, they're so, it's so good to think of ministry and to go in these places and to take on these tough times because you get a church out there like Philippi. I wonder what he thought, though, with Corinth. I mean, was, when he got to those suffering times, does he think Corinth? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Not when you write things like, I am amazed that you tolerate these kind of people in the church. Get them out. Why are you tolerating this kind of sin in the church? I don't get that he's excited about that they are people that help him out. I don't get from the Galatians that these are people that he was thinking about when he's suffering. Oh, the Galatian church, these people make it worthwhile. When he writes, hey, how y'all doing? Good, 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 good. I am amazed at how quickly you all left the gospel of Jesus Christ for another. <laughs> I don't get that these are the ones that he would think. But Philippi, Philippi, this is one of those churches. Wasn't there for a whole, whole long time. Wasn't there for years. Ephesus, he was there for a lot of years. And Ephesus is definitely one of those churches that's up there with Philippi. He was encouraged by those folks. In fact, one time he says, I can't go there because those guys are such an encouragement to me. I'm paraphrasing. Such an encouragement to me. If I go there, I won't leave. <laughs> I'll just stay around there. So I'm only going to come near there and you all come on over here and then I'm going to go. And uh, that's what they, they had done. So I think Ephesus was one of those churches. Philippi is certainly one of those churches. And he would just think about when he was having the tough times. And he's saying, you guys, you guys are partakers. You are partners with me in the suffering and in the defense, and therefore you're also partakers with me in the grace. What happens to the church of Galatia? 
Are they partakers of Him in the grace? I don't think so. Because I don't think they're partakers with Him in the suffering. You see, if you add to someone like Paul, if you take someone like Paul and you add to his suffering, you are not going to be partakers of the grace. (laughs) But Philippi alleviated the suffering. They alleviated. So he says, you guys are partners with me. That's another fun word if you want to go out there and check it out. Some other places where, the, where it is. Gave you the, uh, the Greek word if that helps you in your, in your search, but there are plenty of easy ways to go out there and do that anymore. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with all the affection of Jesus Christ. For God is my witness. Imagine calling God down as your witness. God, come on down here. Witnesses for me. You, you tell him. <laughs> you tell him. I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul writes that of everybody. I think there are some people, because Paul's very honest with you. You know, when, he, when uh, Barnabas once thinks John Mark, what's he say? No, I have no affection for him at all. Mm-mm, nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to take him along. He didn't have any affection for John Mark because John Mark left him. But for the church of Philippi, he says, you can call God down as my witness. I'm going to tell you right now. I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now see, a lot of times we have the affection of Stephen Hecht. We have the affection of Ethel Waters. We have the affection of Corey Jacobs. We have our own affection. And if I go out with the affection of Stephen Hecht, I can only go so far. I have to have the affection that God has. Because, you see, my own affection can get turned off when somebody does something I don't like. But when I have the affection of God, I can't get turned off because they did something I didn't like. I get turned off if they do something God doesn't like. And that's a different thing. We need to go out with the affection of Jesus Christ. Not our own. You can only go so far with your own affection. Don't try and get there that far. Even if you're, even if you're dealing with your kids... Dealing with your parents. Dealing with friends. Oh, especially dealing with relatives. Especially that. Because relatives... <laughs> I mean, friends, you can pick and choose which ones you, you want. Relatives, you don't get to. They're just kind of... They're there. This is what you got. But you have to go and step out and, st- and get a, that affection of God. Not your own. We think about the love of God. I've got to have the love of God for these folks. But are we always thinking about the affection of God? Not just the love of God, but the affection of God. Those people that that God is attracted to with great affection. Have that for these folks that are around you. That's what Paul says. Let's read it again. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I put it for you here in the New Century Version. God knows that I want to see you very much because I love you, all of you, with the love of Christ Jesus. So I'll put this in your outline here for the end. Have things occurred that have hindered or stopped you from being as thankful for those who support you or those who have ministered, you have ministered to? Have things occurred? There are people that God has put in your life who have ministered to you. There are people that you have become a support to. And there are people that you have been that one who ministers to them. 
And sometimes we, we minister to them, but we're not seeing the results that we want to see. And we can fall back on our own affection and we just cut it. Well, that's it. That's it. I'm not wasting my time anymore with that. I'm not saying that you stay with it all the time, but you stay with it as long as the affection of God stays with it. Not yours. You got to have the affection of God. You go back and say, God, I'm more out with this one. What do you think? God says, I'm not done with them yet. Get in there. Get in there. Come on. All right, I'll get in there. I'll have your affection for them. And you can share and partner with God to have that affection. Have the affection of Jesus Christ, not your own. Have you lost confidence in the good work God is doing with those you had a role with? You ever had those, those ones? Maybe they're younger than you. And you minister to them. You're helping them along. You're bringing them along. And then uh, you see a good thing in them. But then they kind of hit a stagnated part. Or they, they get off in the wrong area. And eventually you just kind of tire of it. Have you lost confidence in the good work that God is doing to them? Does God still have some affection left for them? Does God still have some? No, I need, I need you to stay with that one. We need to bring them through this. It's not done yet. I think I misspelled that one. Do we operate in our own affection or that of Jesus? Do we operate in our own affection or that of Jesus? This is something we have to consider. It's real easy to just fall back and just fall into our own affection. If I like them, God likes them. Right? If I don't like them, I'm sure God doesn't like them. <laughs> and sometimes we have to go back there and say, no, 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 no. God, I kind of got wore out with this one. But you're not done with them yet. And I need to keep on going on with this. I'm not saying that God does not tire of it because we've seen times in the Word of God where you know, Saul was one. Samuel, get up. Told you I'm done with that. Now move on. <laughs> That's pretty stern. Sometimes God got pretty stern with, with that. But um, he, will, he will continue on. But make sure that you don't continue on with yours. So, now, the opposite can be true too. You may be like Samuel and you hang on with your own affection. And God says, I've moved on from this, folks. You just need to, we need to go over here. You're wasting your time over here. They're not taking it. They're not getting anywhere. They're not going along with this and developing any better. And sometimes you have to just take that off. Because it's wearing you down. And it's not helping them. Make sure you have the affection of Jesus Christ. Keep going back there and be, be praying for them. God, what's your, what's your take on this? What's your affection for this one? God says, ah, I'm still right there with them. All right, then I am too. And you keep going on. Be mindful of the good work that God is doing in you and be mindful of good work God is doing in other people that are around you. That God has put you in their life to minister to them and to help them. Stay mindful of the good work, not of their bad actions but of the good work that God is doing in them. And as long as God has confidence in them, stay with them. Keep on going. Don't give up on them just, just yet. They're going to do some things that are going to frustrate you. They're going to try and wear out your affection. Don't let it happen. Go back and say, God, I need your affection on this. As long as you are still on this side, I'm with, I'm with you. There will become a time that God will say, move on. Go to somebody else. But um, don't... Don't just jump on it. I know one person I stuck on just too long. Nobody that anybody here would know. But um, just somebody that I, I, I saw a talent. I saw an ability inside this. I saw a good thing that God was doing in them. 
And, uh, oh, I wanted to, s- to see that continue to go on. And they were under another ministry, and they were doing some things in the, this particular area that they had, were gifted in, and they were hurt by this person who's in ministry. And my affection for them just went out even more. I just, you know, God, I know they have a call. I know they have a gifting. I know that this is really strong in their life. Oh, I just want to see them move on. And eventually they, they stepped into some areas that were bad. And it had an effect upon them and their family and their spiritual walk and, and things along those lines. And I still felt very, very affectionate about that and still praying for this one over and over and over again. Every once in a while I call them up and say, how are things going? And what's going on there? And I just couldn't shake them. I just kept, no, I need to, need to keep going with this thing, keep going with this thing. And and I uh, kept pressing on it, kept pressing on it. And finally, I, I asked the, uh, got together with the guy that says, hey, how about we get together for lunch? And we got together for lunch. And we got a face-to-face, not just, just face-to-face. And we sat down there, and we face-to-face this thing, and we were talking about it. And <sighs> at the end of that meal, I had lost all affection for him because the affection I had was my own, and the rest of it was gone. Their belief in God had changed. Their faith in God had been eroded. Their confidence in the Word was gone. The people that God had brought into their life, I mean, good, good folks, they saw them now as heretics. And they adopted a gospel that was very different. And I went after there and says, Oh, God, I still, I still saw this person with the same giftings that I had seen years and years ago, with the same abilities, with the same love for you. But that's not who he is now. He doesn't have that same love for you, that gifting and ability. It's, it's all but gone in his life. He's not feeding it. He's not pursuing it. And he's calling those things that are truth in your word as false. From that day on, I never had a burden to pray for him, to follow up on him, or to do anything more. I've seen him once or twice since then. I've actually run across him a couple of times. One time I even said, you know what, if you want to, it's that, you know, that affection, the wrong, it just kind of rises up, and I just, oh, let me just see if there's anything there. I said, here's how you can get in touch with me if you want to. And um, I think I actually we were doing on Facebook. He said, well, my wife's on Facebook. I'm not. If you want, send her some information, and I'll give you a call. So <clears throat> went home, found her on Facebook, sent her a message. Here's, here's my cell phone number. Here's all my information. Have them contact me. Never heard from them a word. Not a word. Now, I didn't get all distraught about it because I already realized where it had gone. But you see, sometimes our own affection can carry us into something a lot longer than we should have. Go with the affection of God. If God still has affection for that situation, not just because God loses his affection doesn't mean he lost his love for them. But how many of y'all know there's people that you love with the love of Christ, but you don't like them a whole lot. You don't want to spend a whole lot of time with them. But I love them. But I, uh, you, you, you draw a certain line. There are other people who are called the ministers of that one. Love with the affection comes from Jesus. And be checking that out. Because sometimes we'll wear out too soon and sometimes we'll hang on too long. And both results are bad. Father, thank you for the instructions you give us through the life of Paul. He's just so vocal, so expressive 
about how he feels and how he loves, how he cares, and how he's ministered to by the people that were around him. There's much that we can be learned from him that we can make our own life even better. Thank you for the insights you give us into the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.